So I'm Rachel. I'm a marijuana addict in Massachusetts, and I'm just going to tell my story, sort of how it was, what happened, and how it is now. Um, I have uh, I have a sponsor. I work the steps, um, and I have three and a half years weed-free at this point. Um, actually, three years, six months, and two days, to be exact. So um, I'll just get started. Uh, so basically, um, I grew up in the 70s, um, and weed was pretty permissible. It was pretty pre- prevalent. Both of my parents smoked weed. They still do. And um, my mother had me when she was uh, 16, and I grew up in a very tumultuous, kind of chaotic, sort of erratic household where sometimes it was normal, like we had dinner at the same time every night, but then especially on the weekends, um, there was a lot of partying going on. Um, My mother and my dad split up, and my dad moved to Colorado, and I grew up outside of Chicago in the suburbs. And um, my mom and my stepdad just, they had this group of friends, and they just would party on the weekends, and um, that's just pretty much how I grew up. And so weed was always around, and from a very young age, you know, I just, was exposed to it, and um, it was just sort of part of the scene. Like, my stepfather had a roach clip on his keychain, and I didn't understand what it was, and I thought it was, like, a device for picking up papers or something. Like, I didn't understand what it was. Um, But my stepfather had pretty pronounced alcoholism, and I was very put off by it and very scared and scared of substances. And... As I came into my adolescence, Nancy Reagan was uh, the first lady, and she had this campaign of just say no to drugs. And it put something in my head, like, that drugs were bad and, like, just don't do not do it. And I could see what was going on in my own household. And so I just I wasn't into it, and I sort of just was like, I, I'm not going to do that. And so as I became a teenager, um, I was going into Chicago all of the time, I was like 14 and I would lie and say that I was going to McDonald's, but I was really going to see music and going to clubs, these all ages clubs and seeing bands. And for some reason I just wasn't drinking and I wasn't smoking pot, which is really weird to look back on that. Like to, that there was ever a time when it didn't even occur to me, like it just wasn't part of my life. So I think I had my guard up that I just wasn't going to go down that path. And so it's kind of astonishing in a weird way like how far down that path I actually did end up going because I just didn't think it was going to happen to me because I was very judgmental about my stepfather and his problems. And um, I just didn't think that I was going to end up like that. So eventually uh, towards the uh, end of high school, um, when I graduated, I was going to community college. I did get into pot. The first time I tried it, I was 15, and um, it was from my mother's stash, and um, it didn't work. I didn't understand how to roll a joint, and it just I didn't get high, and so I thought, you know, it's ridiculous. People make such a big fuss over it. It's nothing, but then the first time I got high, I got very high, and then I just wanted that feeling, and um, I just really enjoyed it, and I tried other drugs. I was doing LSD. I was... I was drinking, but it made me feel too out of control and a little too wild, and I think I liked the feeling of weed 
where I, I would get high, but I would have like kind of a come down and then I would be sort of mellowed out. It made me not feel as out of control or like I would never stumble or anything like that. But um, that's how my using was in the beginning. As time went on um, throughout college and as I got older, um, my use increased and I was doing gravity bongs. I was doing hash. I uh, at one point was going to like music um, festivals and there was tons of drugs there. And so I would do quote unquote pot salad where I'd mix it with opium. I'd mix it with cocaine. So I just was not fearful of drugs anymore at that point. And I just wanted uh, that high that was getting harder and harder to kind of get. I had to sort of dial it up. And um, I I just never really saw it coming. I never really saw that my drug use was going to be a problem. When I dabbled in the cocaine, I was able to walk away from it. But for some reason, I couldn't walk away from the pot. I never thought that it could be addictive or I would sort of end up in a position of not being able to control myself. And um, my transition from sort of recreational use into into dependency um, happened later on when I was an adult and um, I was in a relationship in my 20s and in my 30s and I was married to a musician and partying was just a big part of our lifestyle and of our scene and it was very artistic, it was very cool, I was like a lot of loft parties and there was just, um, doing substances was just sort of part of that buzz, was part of that energy, was part of being artistic. But then he and I uh, split up and um, I was just devastated, and I think that just the grief of that was just so, so deep on so many levels. I just holed up and um, turned to substances to cope with the pain, and at first I was also drinking, and then one night I was on a bus, and I threw up in my hat, and as I got off the bus, I threw the hat into the garbage, and I was like, okay, I'm not going to drink. Obviously, I can't handle this. So I stopped drinking, but I didn't stop smoking pot, and I just went kind of full on into it where I knew a drug dealer, and I had a regular connection, and I was getting very strong pot. I had a good job, so I was paying top dollar for it, and um, I just went more and more and more into kind of my privately defined world um, where I was cutting off from people. I was doing edibles, um, I was getting wasted, and I did not want anyone to know that this was what was going on. I don't live near my family, so it was very easy to hide from them, to not take their phone calls, or if I did, I could just turn the conversation to them and not focus on me because I would be loaded, trying, and I couldn't have conversations, especially with my sister, because she could see right through me, she reads my every little intonation and so I knew she would pick up on that something was wrong with me and I just didn't want anyone to know how much I was struggling and I didn't understand myself you know Um, my throat was getting burnt out I was getting bronchitis all of the time I was having panic attacks I was having constant sore throats Um, I would get heart palpitations I would get massive headaches And I would just freak out and I would think that like ghosts were talking to me. I, I've just thought all kinds of stuff. And I was living in this, not only like a privately defined world, but kind of a crazy one 
And I was driving high. I was going to work high. I was doing. I would come home for lunch. I worked near near my house. I would come home from for lunch. I would get high. I would do edibles so that I could be high all of the time. <laughs> and uh, I I thought like I did a pretty good job of hiding it because no one really called me out on it, except for my best friend uh, started to notice and she was getting annoyed with me and she said she didn't want to hang out with me anymore. And but I just um, I thought she was just being a square and that she was being stupid, so I, I didn't super listen to that. Uh, but then the the S hit the fan basically uh, because there was just a lot of unmanageability going on cognitively. Um, I was forgetting words. I I was a huge space shot, like so doped out and dumb. There was just no way I could even sort of think about math, like to do my bills. And so even though I was making good money, I just was so haphazard about it. I wasn't really paying them. And then one day I went outside. My car had been repossessed, and it turned into this whole nightmare, rigmarole, craziness. And I was really, really stressed out about it. And um, I basically was running to go catch a bus to go to the repo office, and I wanted to run in front of this truck and I sort of caught myself like having this like, whoa, what are you doing? Like, why are you thinking like that kind of moment? And I thought, I can't keep living like this. Um, But I continued on to go and get my car from the repo and smoke pot the whole way home. I used to have a one hitter that I put inside of a cigarette packet and I would uh, put pot in the bottom and I'd pack up the pot and I would smoke cigarettes to hide the smell. Like I did, that was my my thing I was always doing that uh but that weekend um I smoked the last of the pot and I threw everything away and um I knew about AA because a really good friend of mine was in AA but I didn't know I had no idea like if marijuana anonymous existed and so I just googled it one day and sure enough there was a meeting and so I decided to go to the meeting and it was in Harvard Square so I went to Harvard Square and I go to the meeting and I knew absolutely like absolutely nothing about marijuana anonymous and I had no idea how it was going to help me. All I knew was that I was out of control and I didn't know how to stop and I felt like things were just spinning so far out of control for me that I felt like I was going to end up homeless or I was going to end up in jail. Like I just felt like things were really getting to a point where it was it, it was scary to me and So I went to that meeting, and I really didn't understand it, and so I just kept coming to that meeting like once a week. Then I started to chair the meeting. Um, I discovered service pretty early on, and it gave me a reason to go to the meeting because I kept wanting to blow off the meeting, and then I'd be like, oh, no, I have to chair the meeting. And at that time, it was a small group, and so I chaired that meeting for about four months, which is not how it is these days. Like these days, you only have to chair for like a month. but it was good because I kept coming and I, I, I started to eventually understand a little bit about what was going on, but it was still kind of confusing to me. I joined a step study group because there weren't a lot of females and I had tried to work with a sponsor and it just didn't work out pretty quickly. But I did this step study group for like a while, like almost a year, where like it was four of us and we would meet weekly and we were going through the steps together. So it was good like to get the exposure to the steps that way. But then kind of like maybe nine months into it, I um, I found a roach underneath my car seat and I relapsed. And 
I also started to get an attitude. I started to identify myself out of the room. I started finding fault with everyone, and I was being really picky. And I was saying, like, oh, that person's crazy, and if they're crazy, um, how could I get recovery? How is this going to make me better? And this is all stupid. I'm making such a big deal about this. Weed isn't addictive. I don't have a problem. I can smoke weed like a normal person, blah, 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 blah. So I fell away, and then uh, I went back out, and it wasn't long before uh, problems started kind of creeping up all over again. And also it's strange to go back out um, and to get high again once you have some recovery in you and there's some steps in you because when I would get high, like my neurotic paranoid voice was now this recovery voice and it was like, you really shouldn't be doing this. You know, this is very self-seeking and very self-centered. You should really be doing something else. You should, you should stay sober and you should go and like work on yourself. So, um, eventually life on life's terms started to overload my circuitry again. And what happened was I lost my job of 11 years. I went to Mexico. I got a mosquito virus that put me on my butt for two months. It was pretty hardcore. And then, um, I had some drama with a friend when I was in Mexico. It was like I was on a girl's trip and it just turned into a disaster uh, because of substances, because we're both wasted. And um, then unexpectedly, one of my best friends who I had been estranged from because I was sitting there, quote unquote, trying to get sober, uh, she died all of a sudden. And that was horrific. And so about a month and a half after she died, I went out for a drink and I thought, you know, having a drink and smoking some weed would make me feel better. And instead it made me feel like, completely fragile and unhinged and extremely vulnerable and like all I wanted to do was sit there and sob and that's not really like that's not like a fun time to hang out with and um that's why I just I just kind of had another moment of clarity where I was like you know life is always going to hit you with stuff and you need to be strong for it and you can't handle life like this like you have to be sober to be a strong person and so I went back and I, I recommitted myself and I went back um, to the meetings. And so my sober date is actually my friend's birthday. And it's very meaningful to me because um, I want my sobriety to mean something. And I have to remember that, that um, uh, I don't want it to be in vain that she and I were estranged at the time. I want to know that I really did take my sobriety seriously. Um, so essentially my rededication to my program just looks so much different the second time around because I think I came to understand the value of it and I applied myself a lot more diligently and I started working with a sponsor. I worked through the steps. Um, I started to be of service. It was recommended to me that I, I stopped drinking. I stopped drinking and the service piece, um, it's part of, like the medallion, you know, you see unity, service, and recovery. And the service piece of my program is huge. And it helps me to keep coming back. It helps me to feel accountable to other people besides myself. I love the 12th step of carrying the message and giving away what was given to me. I like to sponsor. I like to chair meetings. Um, I do service on the meeting level where I you know, chair meetings, I'm a secretary for one of the meetings, you know, there's all kinds of stuff that I do. I, I work for the district and I also work for Marijuana Anonymous World Services. I'm one of the trustees um, for conferences and conventions. 
I will not say I'm the best trustee, but I will say that I try. It's been a learning experience, and um, I've really enjoyed getting to know stoners from all around the country and on the phone lines. I came to the phone lines because um, <sighs> because when uh, they voted legalization and recreational marijuana in Massachusetts, Having had that experience of going to the dispensaries in Colorado, I knew that I needed to fortify my program. And so I embarked on another 90 and 90 to kind of refresh myself. And um, so that's how I started going to the phone meetings. And now I'm on them all the time. And they really helped me, and I just love it. And uh, so the recreational pot is here now. And I've been very open about how I'm feeling about it. I find that the couple of aspects of the program are um, – so true for me and one is to remain humble and to know that um, you just never really have it sewn up and that anything can happen at any time and to just stay on top of your program. I like the concept of surrender uh, to understand that um, I'm powerless over my addiction and that I have to uh, sort of surrender all my willfulness. Um, the steps have taught me a lot. Um, I really like I really like the advice that um, if you're feeling itchy or you're feeling weird to just go and work a step. So a lot of things in my life have changed. Um, they always say don't leave before the miracle happens and a miracle really did happen in my life where I went from having absolutely no control um, over being able to um, manage my my drug use to such an extent that it was progressing into other drugs um, into the whole, we hear about the opioid addiction stuff. I feel like that was um, going to be my story very quickly. And um, I, I feel very thankful to this program for helping me um, to recover because I didn't just get sober. I got into recovery and I feel like I've healed. I feel like I've grown. I feel like I'm not stuck. I feel like I'm trying to move forward in my life and sort of change as a person. So in the end, I'll just close by saying that the promises really did uh, come true for my life. And um, if you haven't read them, I'll just read them really quickly. These are the ones from the AA Big Book, and I'll close with this. If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we're halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity, and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. So um, with that, um, I just want to say I'm very thankful to Marijuana Anonymous, and um, I'm very thankful to all of you for attending this meeting and for listening to my story. With that, I pass.